When you think of great duos, who do you think of? Jordan and Pippen or LeBron and Dwayne Wade. I mean, I talk about basketball a lot here on this podcast, but for the Barcelona version, there's PK and Puyol or PK and Mascherano or the easy example of Xavi and Iniesta. And as you can hear from my voice, the perfect teammates aren't just professional athletes. It's cold season. I guess the flu and cold medicine, perfect teammates as well. But in this case, when it comes to growing your business, that's you and Shopify. Shopify is a global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. To be honest, I've been doing this show long enough. And as I mentioned, it's cold and flu season. You hear it in my voice, especially during the holiday season. So whenever it comes to this business, anything that I can set up and kind of have working in the background that I know and can trust is just plugging along without my attention. Those are the things that I really value at this point. So when my brain is foggy, all I can do is manage to turn on the microphone, talk to the guest, or just talk to myself and get out a piece of content. Everything else, having that all automated or working in the background, that's been important to keeping me sane. And that's the thing about something like Shopify. What I do love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. So no matter how big or small, how good of a month or how bad of a month, things are just the same working in the background. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is a global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs on every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tbpod, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash tbpod now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash tbpod. I'm Chaneo Gwumike. I'm Lisa Leslie, and we're very excited to tell you about our new podcast with Blue Wire, Front and Center. Lisa and I are breaking down what's going on in our lives, in the world, and keeping it 100. We're also learning from amazing guests as well, like Emmanuel Acho. People that show love to me, I forever got their back. Vivica A. Fox. If the foundation isn't right, then the rest of it's going to go wrong from there. And more. Subscribe to Front and Center today. Welcome to episode 224 of the Barcelona Podcast, home to the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Dan Hilton, and I'm again joined by Frances Tomas, Barca columnist featured on ESPN, Guardian, you know it, and Frances. It's been a crazy few weeks, but we are back together again to talk El Clasico aftermath, as unfortunate as it may be. Hi, yes. Hola, Cules. Very happy to be here again. Um, not very impressed with our latest result. But then again, that's that's life. Um, as Barca fans, over the last 10, 15, 20 years, we've been used to winning a lot. Um, so unfortunately, those times don't always last. They cannot really last forever. It's part of life. And uh, we're in a transition year. And unfortunately, we got beaten by Madrid in a Clásico at the Camp Nou, which is something that, you know, that by the ten, last 10, 15 years, is not a usual thing. But unfortunately, that's that's what we have today. Yeah, I mean, it is Zidane's usual thing, though. He's three wins, three draws against Barcelona so far. So he doesn't really lose too often against 
Villagrana. So Zidane, as successful as he's been, we are going to talk about managers. We're going to talk about what went right in El Clasico, the few things that did. We're going to talk about what went wrong, and then we're going to preview Juventus there at the end. But I think where we start, Frances, is the fact that, as we mentioned, at home, at the Camp Nou, this was actually the first time since 2007 when you might remember Messi had his hat-trick against Real Madrid, the first hat-trick of his career, and Ruben Nistelrooy was pretty good for Real Madrid on the other side. So the first time since 07 that both these teams came in not having one of them top the table. So it was an odd thing where both of these teams really do feel like they're in transition years, and Madrid had lost two straight. They were terrible in the Champions League, and they were pretty awful against Cadiz, where they were completely run off the pitch, where meanwhile Barcelona were beaten by Hidafe 1-0 the week before, but it was nothing close to the way Cadiz put the smackdown on Real Madrid. And then midweek, Barcelona destroyed Ferranvaros by a 5-1 scoreline. So you expect that both teams... They had the ability to falter in this game. Unfortunately, it was Barca that did that. Now, the question I think we start off with was one of the ones coming into it, where do we think the lack of fans truly mattered? And Frances, do you think that, I'm going to almost switch it up a little bit, do you think that it was that there was no atmosphere at the Camp No that kind of took some of the, we'll say the luster out of the players uh, for Barcelona in particular? They just didn't seem like it was as intense as it normally would be. Or do you think on the other side of it is that this is a team that's simply in funk and no matter how many of those 90 or 100,000 fans would have been in the camp know that this is a team that's just going to be in funk no matter what? Well, not having any fans is uh, something that has affected all the teams in the world for the last six, seven months. So um, that is something that I don't want it to be sounding like an excuse, but obviously in El Clasico at the Camp Nou, you would expect that if a decision was to go either way, the, the fans, the home fans, would be able to sway it. Um, obviously, the decisive factor was the penalty that um, Ramos defied the laws of gravity and fell the other side um, quite ostentatiously as well. And um, yeah, no, I think that if there had been fans, the, the referee may not have even checked the VAR. And if he had checked it, then you know the decision may have gone another way. So I think that the decisive play of the game would not have gone the way it did, uh, or, or not as easily at least, if the fans had been there. Um, obviously, when you've got 90,000 fans, it used to be 120,000 that used to fit at the Camp Nou back in 1982 with the with the World Cup in Spain, um, it's always going to be a plus. But then again, I don't think Barca are as affected as teams like, for example, Eibar, Getafe, Leganes, uh, teams that, you know, they are, even Betis, for example, that they are who they are because of the home fans. And I think that, you know, after a defeat like this, in which we should have been superior to Madrid and we just simply were not, it's very easy to find excuses. I mean, that is the first thing that Kuman did in the press conference, just playing the referee point blank. But actually, you know, you need to look deeper. You need to look at yourself. You need to look at your planteamiento, your tactics, the way that you played the game the way that mentality was or wasn't, in this case, um, up to scratch, and then be a little bit more critical. But, you know, I think that if the fans had been there, it would have been better. If the referee hadn't done what they normally do, which is go for Madrid, it would have also been more on Barca's favour. But ultimately, Madrid, well, let's say that Barca were not better than Madrid and didn't deserve to win. Yeah, and I find that after this match, just thinking about history of the rivalry and all these things, that... Uh, it helps me to understand why El Clasico does matter, other than just having it be FC Barcelona versus Real Madrid, two of the biggest global teams in the world, that this is a, a match that, because Barcelona and Real Madrid have reached the heights that they have, not only between European success, but just being the global brands that they are, 
a lot of this match winds up in this post-Messi-Ronaldo, post-Mourinho versus Guardiola era has kind of taken some of the teeth out of it. And I find that this is an El Clasico that I think, I think actually going back to last year, I know Madrid, they, they squeaked with the one win in the spring, but the 0-0 draw early on, those are two very forgettable El Clasicos as well. And when you look at this rivalry, it is created through contention and through things that should have gone a different way, if you will. And, you know, you go all the way back to it hasn't always been Real Madrid-Barcelona. It did this rivalry, in essence, started in 1943. And we can talk about how the fact that the politics of this rivalry are quite neutered in the way that they obviously were then during the Franco dictatorship. 1943, the Copa del Generismo. Everyone knows the story. That's really when this rivalry starts. I mean, Madrid was even founded by someone who formerly had supported Barcelona and then moved to Madrid. And yes, they had the royal recognition from the crown, Real, obviously, but going all the way back to 1943, it was that 3-0 win for Barca at home, and then an 11-1 win for Madrid, where that's really where the rivalry starts, where there were no fans allowed from Barcelona to travel to Madrid for that second leg, and whether or not the Barcelona players were threatened, and you don't know what had happened in that match, but that is truly the moment where, we'll say, Spanish politics, and this match became so much more than just a match between two of the better teams in Spain. And then you go the Di Stefano debacle. And then even though Real Madrid won so many of those matchups in those subsequent years, there was something to it. There was some bite to what Barcelona wanted to do because Madrid had Di Stefano. And then you almost fast forward all the way to Luis Figo. There were some incidents in the middle there too. Obviously there was Cruyff with the 5 nothing, but then you go to Luis Figo. And then, as I said, it's Messi, Ronaldo, it's Mourinho, Guardiola, and the, the subplots and the subplots and the sub-sub-subplots, they all kind of happened after that in, in those in those eras. And now we are in a moment where, yes, Messi's still on the field, but this is a rivalry that has lost a little bit of its bite because I said both of these, I almost call them companies, and that's Freudian slip because it really are like these corporate brands that are now facing off against each other without fans. And that's the sense you got. Now, the transition here that I'm going to, again, I want to set this up in a what went right in the match and then what went wrong. So I'm going to start with the positive here. And the reason why Guardiola... I mean, yes, obviously he had the Champions League and all those things, but his addition to El Clasico and that narrative was that that was the moment when he decided to debut Messi as the false nine. And I bring that up because combining Coleman's ideas and what I think one of the things that he did right, that being Coleman, and a few things he got right yesterday, was the brave starting lineup that he chose. Now, we'll talk about Pedri in a second because I want to start with Fati, Frances. Fati, he debuts for the first time at professional level because the last time he did this was with the Juvenile Oz now going on two years ago but he plays Fati as the number nine as the center forward and the questions being is that is that a long-term answer was that just something that you see Coleman doing in this one-off time in El Clasico thinking that he was exploiting something and the thing I want to add on the end of that is that we're asking about what Fati's best position is that uh, he'll be 18 in, in less than a week. So whether he's at the left wing or whether he was a center forward, he is going, I, I think what he's doing at Barcelona at the moment, maybe it isn't going under the radar and being underrated around the world, but it is ridiculous what he's done so far this year in terms of putting five goals in, in the way that he has. It's just unbelievable what Fati is doing and not just at his age, but I think if any player, Sans Messi had started the year this hot and this on fire and with, with putting the ball in the back of the net at this clip, we'd say, oh, that's, uh, it's just, it's incredible what he's doing. That's, that's all I'll say. But Frances, how do you feel about Coleman's, I guess we'll call it bravery, to start Fati in a new position in El Clasico? It is bravery. It is bravery, and it's also staying true to your principles. I mean, I think that it depends on what your expectation for the season is. And, um, you know, over the years, we've been pretty optimistic 
and we've been, you know, aiming for the treble, etc. My expectations for this year are really, really low. As um, regular listeners to the podcast um, already know, um, I don't expect Barca to win anything at all this season. I think that a club that is successful has to be run properly. And I'm not talking about the coach, which, you know, it's a direct sort of um, daño collateral, collateral damage of what's going on. This club is not run properly from the top. It doesn't have a clear idea from the board. Um, the board know that they're leaving, well, imminently, um, if they had a bit of decency, but obviously they don't. Um, they are being kicked out. Uh, they have got a lot of signatures that basically force them to do that. And they're holding on for dear life um, to refill some of the money that, you know, rumor has it is not there anymore. So if a club is not run properly, it is obvious that everything at every level is going to crumble. And I think that it is a, with the expectations for the season from myself, which is we're going to win nothing, is a direct result of that. We've got a manager that if another candidate wins, it's very likely he's going to go, um, regardless of how well he does. Um, obviously, Kuman came to the camp no, and he knew fully well that this was the job. Um, I think he thought sort of now or never, I've got the offer to come. If Victor Fon comes next year, then he's going to ring Chavi and that's my door closed forever because, you know, he's not a spring chicken anymore himself. So Kuman's job is to give the youth a chance. El Clasico, you've got Serginho Des starting, you've got Pedri starting, you've got Frankie the Young, let's not forget, he's still young himself. You've got Frankie the Young starting and you've got Ansu Fati as well. Then in the second half, you've got Trincao coming in. Arguably, Araujo could have come on as well. I um, think that a lot of people, <laughs> given Lengle and Piquet's, um, let's just say, dubious performance, they, they were calling for his name as well. So Kuman's job is to bring something out of the next generation so that when he leaves, which is probably going to be the mid-season or you know, top end of the season, then he would have actually contributed something to the future of Barca. Um, Talking specific, specific about Ansu, well, he's been in La Masia since he was 10, and um, he was signed from Sevilla Promesas back then, so Sevilla youth system, and um, he's been a centre-forward since. He was always playing at, at the front of attack, normally as a clearer striker, but also as a false nine. Um, he's, he can play as a winger, both sides are fine for him, obviously starting from the left is better because he can you know, sh- go towards his shooting foot, which is obviously the right one. And also as an attacking midfielder. So really, he can play wherever he wants. But he, the vast majority of the time at La Masia and through the ranks, he's been, a, he's been a nine, a false nine. So it is only natural that long term, he's going to be the false nine at Barca. Now, was he the right choice for El Clasico when he's been playing in the wings the whole time and he's been effective there? And also by playing him in the wings, you're enabling Messi to be closer to the goal and then Coutinho to be behind I'm not quite sure. I mean, he could have gone either way. Obviously, he de- he gets the goal very early on, which is all a positive. Um, I personally don't think El Clasico is a time for experiments. Um, but obviously, as you've already mentioned, it worked out quite well for Guardiola at the time. But I think that um, he's, he's a little bit verde. He's a little bit green. He's a little bit um, inexperienced to do that jump in El Clasico. But, you know, if Barca had scored some of the chances they had and defended a little bit better then we'll probably be, you know, throwing sweets at Kuman and singing his praises. So he could have gone either way. I don't think that when you're in the direct spotlight of the whole world watching is the time to do experiments, but it's worked before. Uh, I think that because we lost the game, we're going to have to see with, with hindsight, we're going to have to say that it probably wasn't the right idea. Um, I wouldn't have done it personally. Yeah, well, we are going to hit the break and then we're going to talk Serginho Dest. Even though sports had a break, 
Your business didn't. You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. Plus, Indeed provides powerful tools to make your search that much easier. Like sponsored jobs, which are shown to be three and a half times more likely to result in a hire. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at BetOnline. BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season, from game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props. BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to BetOnline today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, Frances, so every time I bring up Sergino Dest, I'm going to be hit with that American bias and all that stuff. So it's not really good for an audio format, but I think I'm just going to smile and sit back uh, and let you have it. Because for Sergino Dest, uh, he was maybe Barcelona's man of the match. Uh, Messi, advanced metrics say he was good. Fati had the goal. And Neto, while he did let in three goals, he had very important saves in both halves to keep that game from getting out of hand before what we'll talk about, the VAR and the penalty and Madrid luck and all that stuff. But anyway, Dest... For what he did to bottle Vinicius Jr., and then, again, in front of him was Pedri, 17-year-old Pedri on that line as well, dealing with Ferland Mendy. If you had told me that the Dest-Pedri combination, you know, even six months ago, seven months ago, when Dest is still the backup at Ajax, and then Pedri was still playing for Las Palmas in the, in the second division. So if you told me that a second division 17-year-old and the backup right back at Ajax were to hold Vinicius Jr., who has so far been Madrid's best attacker this year, and then Ferland Mendy, the left back or one of the best left backs in the world at the moment that Madrid were able to get from Barcelona, then Barca settled for Junior Firpo. So if you told me that Dest and Pedri would basically be 50-50, almost a neutral, and Dest would, I mean, he would basically win the matchup against Vinicius Jr., while Pedri, I wouldn't say he won against Ferland Mendy, but Des was just, I mean, how good was he? I mean, how, take my bias out of it, Frances, how good was Des actually? <laughs> he was very good, Dan. He was very, very good. I think that everyone listening to the podcast will agree that Sergio was one of the better news of the whole match. Um, I think Neto did well at the end. Um, the scoreline could have been horrendous, could have been 1-5, really, um, if Neto hadn't been, you know, doing the saves that he did at the end. But I think that Serginho was great. Um, you could see, you know, a lot of times it's it's hard to measure the weight of a player and the the importance that a player has in a team. But it's the fact that he's pretty much just arrived. He's been at, at the camp now probably three weeks, if that. And um, in difficult moments, his teammates kept looking for him. Uh, Frankie was passing the ball to him constantly. He was overlapping. He was combining. Um, he was great on his feet. Um, he was not just passing the ball and, and opening up and sort of going towards the byline when he could. He was actually conducting the ball himself. He was drifting towards the middle, which um, someone like Sergio Roberto, for example, doesn't normally do. Um, so he was drifting towards the middle when he could. 
Um, most of the overlaps, however, were from the wings. Um, he made lots of sense going forward. And um, he was very, very confident. I mean, in the end, he was holding back in a, you know, Kuman went to be crazy at the end, didn't he? Uh, too late, to be honest. But in the last 10 minutes, he was one of the three at the back, really. Uh, and he didn't stay there very long. So for someone who has just arrived, being able to do what he did at, at the level that he did it in a match of the importance of El Clásico is, is really spectacular. I mean, um, is this a sign of things moving forward? I'd say so. I'd say so. I mean... The fact that Sergio Roberto didn't even feature in a match of this importance when he's been a regular fixture for so many years. I mean, Sergio Roberto has started pretty much every match in the last three or four years even. Um, is very, very, very telling. Uh, with Jordi Alba coming back, which obviously was a doubt before the game, then there was only one place for Serginho to play. And I think Kuman got his spot on in that respect. So whether he's American or Congolese or Indian or Spanish or Catalan makes no difference. Serginho there was by his own right, one of the best players, if not the outstanding performance for Barca in a classical, without a doubt. Yeah, and I think there was also some naivety to it. I, I think it was an odd thing to think when this match ended, and this is where I'm going to start to tell the fence between right and wrong, or as I say, positive and negative here, because Dest uh, certainly fits in that positive camp. I also think of the tackle he had at Casemiro that was basically a goal-saving tackle, and what I've been most impressed by, obviously, is the defensive side of the ball, because of what I've seen with him with the U.S., and what I've seen with him for Ajax, that that was the part that you kind of had to worry about. That's where his own his Ajax teammates would constantly be yelling at him and getting on him for his defensive duty. So I don't think we've actually seen the worst of Dest defensively. Than this, And it will happen over the course of this season if he continues to feature in the way that he will. He's going to make some probably crucial mistakes. But for him to show up, as you said, and again, it might be just the, the naivety of being a teenager and not really understanding the gravity. I mean, you know, I don't know if he did the reading that I did prior to El Clasico about now it happened in 1943 and Luis Figo. He might not know who Luis Figo even is. And if in this case, I think it might actually support the fact that Death can just go out and one match is just one match. And in the Liga, the three drop points against Real Madrid was the same three drop points that they had the prior week against Adafe. And it was also interesting, as I wrap up this point about Death, that uh, for better or worse, his teammates put him in front of the Spanish TV. This is probably the most embarrassing part of this, is that they've had him do media for the Spanish TV, and he doesn't speak Spanish, which is why his first encounter with Messi was as awkward and, I guess, humorous in hindsight as it is, that he doesn't speak Spanish yet, so he wound up having to say to Spanish TV, hey, can we do this in English? And they're looking at him like he's got nine heads, because why would you send out a 19-year-old teenager who doesn't speak Spanish for Spanish TV? But anyway, Des just, he winds up having a good quote about how you know, it's a little explicit, but he said, you know, I'm not happy about the result, basically. And uh, he showed some poise in that interview uh, as well. So for Des to just have the ability to take all this on his shoulders, uh, he's continued to prove that he has a personality to survive at Barcelona. And sometimes that winds up being just as important as the things that are happening at your feet. But where I now want to blur the line between positive and negative is with Pedri, because we know that Des being a teenager and all those things, it wasn't just looking through those hope tinted glasses that Des was actually that good at 19. And Fati has, obviously, the stats are there, and you see it with his performances. Yes, he makes some, some green mistakes, but Fati has been that good. Pedri, the other teenager who started in this match, is really the question about whether or not he should have started. Now, I watched it, I know even on second viewing, I think Pedri, because of the way he faded in that match and the last 20 minutes or so, I really do put on Coleman for leaving a 17-year-old there for 80 minutes. But I actually think that Pedri 
who is better on the left wing. You also asked questions about starting him on the right wing for the first time this season. He did feel like he was playing in the wrong position. That meant Coutinho also felt like he was playing in the wrong position. Uh, we'll get to him in a second. But that, I, that that's what I was so confused by, where you were trying to get four players on the field in basically three spots, and you didn't start Trincao and Dembele, who are those two natural right wingers, and Griezmann, who I expected was going to start because he was rested against Ferranvaros. He doesn't start either to be on the right wing. So you're 0 for 3 on all the players that have played on the right wing so far, and you put Pedri over there. And as I said, defensively, I thought Pedri was good enough to deal with Ferland Mendy, uh, and Real Madrid were not really creating. He was also helping and shading over to create that double team on Vinicius Jr. to keep him bottled up. So just for what his defensive acumen was in that game, I was fine enough with what Pedri was doing. And yes, he didn't combine well enough going forward, but he still had some bright moments. And I wouldn't say that he was a net negative in the way that it was. Now, as I said, he did fade in that match by the 60th, 70th minute when Coleman should have pulled the trigger already. But for me, my issue wasn't even Pedri because Pedri, if he has a regular performance, Barcelona wind up winning that game. The problem was the veterans. And it wasn't just that we're being critical of them, but Sergio Busquets had maybe his worst Barcelona match in two or three years. I mean, it was mm-hmm. terrible. And so I'm saying that I'm not saying that Pedri always oh, 17, so we're just trying to be positive with him. I'm saying he was fine. There were good parts, there were bad parts. But for Busquets, I'm trying to be positive here, but. I mean, there's not much to take from it. And then the combination of Pique, who was good, and then Langley, who had one of his worst matches in multiple years. I'm not even talking the VAR. Langley was constantly two or three steps out of position in that match. And I've been praising his, his long passing has gotten better. But Madrid kind of, by clogging the middle in the way that they do, Langley couldn't really get a pass off. And if he's not showing the part of his game that's improved... It was merely a regression of his defensive abilities, which Langley, that's what he came from Barcelona for, was that his ability to defend, particularly in one-on-one situations, and step out when PK stays home. And he didn't do that at all. So for Busquets and Langley, just almost disaster classes in a way that if Barcelona's veterans had showed up in this match, they wind up getting a win. And I put such, so little of the blame on the young players, not because I give them a mulligan of being young, but they were fine and showed up. And it was just my most disappointing part of the El Clasico was that the veterans were not there the way they needed to be. And Komen did a terrible job managing the fact that his veterans were playing poorly. Yeah, yeah, for sure. But the thing is, I'm over being surprised about this. This is not surprising. We've been seeing this for the last three years. You saw it at Liverpool. You saw it, you saw it at Roma. You saw it this season against Munich, and uh, we're seeing it again. I mean, the fact that Zidane hasn't really lost a classical at the Camp Nou is just laughable. And uh, these are the same players that have been playing all of these matches. Um, but obviously, they're now three or four years older than when I just referred to. For example, from Roma, that's three years ago now, even though he still hurts as if, as if it was yesterday. And uh, now these players, unless they are replaced, they, they're not really going to be- get any better. I think that there were... Th- Four renovations this last week, um, Contratos, and it was Frankie, it was Ter Stegen, it was Lenglet, who obviously had a bad match, but overall he's quite good. But then Piquet has been renewed for a further year until 2024. I mean, this is just nonsensical. And I do know that he's um, reduced his salary to 50%, and, and that is great. And that speaks um, about his Barcelonismo, about his love for Barca. But Really, renewing Piquet for another year is just—it's just—it's just a joke. And the fact that Busquets got a contract until 2023, just another joke. And the same with Jordi Alba. So, uh, even Jordi Alba was sort of decent in this match. But no, I mean, it's just—if you don't change what you do, you cannot really be surprised about the outcome. Um, if, if you're gonna do what you've always done, you're gonna get the result you always got. And this is this is the example here. I mean, 
with with Pedri, it's the same as I said with Ansu. What is the target? Is the target to grow the players? Is the target to give them playing time at the highest possible level, um, whether you win or not? Because if that is the target, then well done for for Kuman for starting him. Um, I do agree, 80 minutes is a little bit much, but you know, if the target is for Pedri to curtir himself to to get ready to play at this level, then then so be it. But I do think that Griezmann, not because of what he was doing, because you know he's been pretty terrible. He's been pretty uneventful this season. I think Griezmann should have started or at least should have got at least 30 minutes of, of, of game simply because of the price he is, simply because of who he is and simply because you've got a 17-year-old and you're not going to just throw him to, to, to the fire to get burned in front of the eyes of, of, of hundreds of millions around the world. So Griezmann really should have been featured much more. And uh, if he's going to underperform, that would have been on him. But I don't think it's fair to leave the kid just playing there the whole time, especially when his performance decreases. But when you're playing alongside Busquets, who, let's face it, didn't really see a single ball in the whole game, uh, when he had the ball on his feet, his passes were mostly either irrelevant or sloppy. Defensively, he wasn't pressing. Um, that impacted Frankie the Young as well, who didn't have a great game at all. But then, but then again, it, it, it sort of links to who you've got. If you've got a double pivot, you depend on each other. And Sergio Busquets was just nowhere to be seen. And, you know, you've already mentioned the centre-back, so I'm not going to go too long on that. But, you know, it would be great to have a match in which Piquet or Lengle, either one of the two, don't cost us a goal. And that just doesn't seem to be happening. So, overall, we are falling at the same hurdle. Every time there's a big match, it's the same people that... Um, you know, collectively make a mistake that ultimately costs cost the game because at this level you cannot make mistakes and you have to be extraordinarily on point to actually be effective moving forward. So what Anso Fati is adding, what Messi used to add that isn't adding that much anymore, to be honest, especially in big matches, is what Barca can produce. But, you know, you can't have sloppy mistakes at the back and you need to be concentrated for the whole time. And, you know, you need to have a little bit of luck as well, not just with refereeing decisions, which I don't think there's any luck involved into that. I think there's something deeper, like Kuman obviously indicated in the press conference. But, you know, you don't have your fans. The referee decisions don't really go your way. You're not that effective moving forward and you make mistakes. Then that obviously is going to generate a loss, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, you hit a few points there. Some of the ones that Griezmann is really the one to create, I think, the most arguments here where I think Griezmann... Besides the price tag, though, the, you need for Barcelona to win trophies. And as much as people say, oh, this puts the nail in the coffin, this is a rebuilding season, all those things, I still think Barcelona do have some of the tools. And I mean, yes, Coleman has not been the right manager. And yes, you, that does mean if you bring in enough managers and you're not getting any difference of a result, it probably means that it goes down to the board and the players. And we know that PK had that interview earlier this week, kind of giving his opinion too. He's been pretty quiet about the board, but now he winds up to. Uh, La Vanguardia, that he winds up, you know, not revealing anything, but just giving his opinion as well, that we already know that uh, echoing Messi's points earlier about how there's no project and there's no plan. And so about Griezmann, he might have the price tag he has, but I mean, I think that it was brave and right for Coleman to not put out Griezmann in that situation. And that's my, there's a point I think that I was saying about, about Pedri. And that was the whole point here that Pedri, I don't think he was floated out there alone on an island that he's going to get destroyed in El Clasico because of his age. I actually think there's this weird thing happening at Barcelona where 
the idea should be, and logic tells us that if you play your young kids, you play Pooj and Pedri and Trincao and you, all of them together, you're going to lose matches. That's what happens. Experience wins games. We know that. That is a true and proven fact over 140 years of football. We know that experience, you need some experience. Yes, the naivety of youth does help to create and unbalanced matches and, and do some good things. But for El Clasico, and just looking at the state of Barca in, I think they're in an odd place where they're not losing, as you kind of alluded to. They're not losing because of the young players. If they got even 90% of what they need to get out of Messi, Busquets, Piquet, Langley, Griezmann, Coutinho, if those players are operating at 90%, the experienced players on the team, then what you've gotten so far this year from Trincao, Pedri, Dest, Fati would be enough to be winning games and be top of the table. That's the argument here, that it's this odd reversal of logic that your youth are supposed to be the problem and why you drop points. And yes, they've been making mistakes and haven't been perfect, and that's why Barca are middle of the table. And I know they've also played two less matches than pretty much everyone in the La Liga table, but they have already lost points this season on three occasions. Sevilla was the draw. Hadafe, they lost the three points. And then Madrid, they lost the three points. So they're not getting results. They're out of funk. But as I said, I, I go back to the fact that the youth have given enough for this team to be a really good team, and they're just not getting enough from everybody else out there. And one of the players that I brought, uh, would bring up that we haven't mentioned, we'll talk about Messi in a second, so please put a pin in that. But for Coutinho, we now know after the fact that he's dealing with a hamstring injury and Maybe it was the hamstring injury. Maybe it was throughout the match. He was already starting to feel that and deal with that. But the puzzling thing to me was that we knew that that Coutinho coming off the left wing didn't work when he was around at the Camp Nou the first time. That's what didn't work. There really wasn't ever a natural position for him in the 4-3-3 that Barcelona was previously playing. And now that there's a 4-2-3-1, the only place you can truly play Coutinho where you're going to get something out of him is behind the striker. And if Coleman thinks that the combination of Fati up top and Messi underneath him is the best combination, then that puts Coutinho right back on the bench. As I had said before the season ever started, that if Coutinho only has one spot, then yeah, he's either going to play in that spot or he has to become, if the best Barcelona has Messi at the number 10 spot, then that means that Coutinho is going to have to do what he did for Bayern Munich and back up Messi the way he's backed up Thomas Müller, just because there's a better player in that position. Because putting Coutinho on the left wing whether or not he had that hamstring injury in that match, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. He can wind up starting in the middle, and then he shades over and uses the left winger to to get himself in position to cut in onto his right foot the way he wants to do that and moving left to right. But having to start on the left and then making some direct cut into the center of the field, he just looks at the net and either takes a long shot or has a hard time opening up his body and then combining with teammates. He just doesn't seem to have that ability to play that one-two that Messi is looking for. And because it's such a simple thing, I mean, it, it seems like how can you not just practice a wall pass with Messi over and over and over and over and over again in practice or training until you get it? But it seems like that just never worked. And opponents are prepared for that. They're prepared to cut out his long shot as he cuts in onto his right foot. And they're also prepared for the first and second look that he's going to have in the box. So Coutinho has to not play on the left wing. I, I don't know how else to say it. I don't know what Coleman's going to do with him. And Griezmann, the same question, where somehow, after all this, where the 4-2-3-1 seems to be the formation that fits the most amount of players in the squad, you still have two of your most expensive players not really having positions if Coleman's really going to play, we'll say, that best way. Because at this moment, it seems like, as you said, Francis, Messi as the nine and then Coutinho underneath, and Fati on the left wing seems to be the thing that fits the most amount of players, and then Griezmann still doesn't fit in that. And that is, I think, going to be a problem for Coleman 
all year long. It's not going to stop being a problem. But the problem for Komen is when things aren't working, he has now failed every test he has had where he's had a good game plan to start. We've praised his bravery. We've praised the ideas he has. But I mean, I, I don't cur- I, I am not going to curse here. But uh, I mean, I, I wish I had a beat button. But what the you know what was he doing in the last 20 minutes of that match and then putting on the the, he had six attackers and a midfield three of Coutinho, Messi, and De Jong. If you have Messi and Coutinho in your midfield, that third goal, I throw that out completely. Of course, a midfield three of, of a gassed, I mean, completely exhausted. Coutinho and Messi in your midfield three with De Jong trying to do everything he can behind him. And then three center backs behind them and six forwards. I mean, what are you doing? I mean, Coleman, this was one of the, what I'd say one of the worst decisions in terms of just or last desperate acts that we have seen from a manager in a long time. I mean, I could have made those decisions saying, hey, if you're an attacker with with a number between 9 and 14 on your back, hey, I'm going to throw you into the game right now with 10 minutes to go. Good luck. It just it didn't make any sense. and It was terrible. So my question for you, Frances, is when it comes to Coutinho, Griezmann, how much blame do we put on the players that can't seem to find their positions? And how much blame are we putting on Coleman already for mismanaging these games? And as I said, in the last 10 minutes, not having any idea how to get back in this match. Well, let me tell you something. Johan Cruyff used to do that all the time. You know, he, he used to put Julio Salinas up front. Um, Julio Salinas, who, you know, with all due respect, couldn't really pass a ball. Um, he was just the impossible striker. He would score goals with his ears uh, from time to time. He would be thrown to the floor on the way down. He would score with his knee. Um, he was very often in the last 10 minutes of matches accompanied by um, Jose Ramon Alexanco, which is like putting um, a 10, well, a 40-year-old Gerard Piquet up front. Uh, Kuman yeah. used to do that. Cruyff used to do that all of the time. So I think that I know where, where Kuman learned this from. He learned this from the master. Um, doing all the changes at once, I mean, the attacking changes were needed. Um, I just don't think that he got the people that were going to be coming off, right? Um, I think he was off mark by 20 minutes with Griezmann. As I said before, I think Griezmann should have come on with at least half an hour to, to prove his worth. Uh, I did think that the fact that he didn't play in midweek against Ferret Varos was for him to be sort of uh, burning inside and ultra-motivated to come on and, and make a difference. But... No, that, that was not the case. Um, I think Dembele had to come on. I think his speed could have unbalanced the game. I mean, the guy can still not re- really make too many decisions when the ball is on his feet, but he can bring you something special. Um, I was thinking about the previous point you made, and uh, I think that the main difference between Barca last year and this year is that if you're going to play Coutinho in the middle, then at least you've got quality wingers that can actually unbalance games. So Ansu, let's say he's a winger, even though he wasn't in the last game. Dembele, Trincao, you, arguably you can have Messi as a winger as well. Uh, you could put Pedri. To be honest, you could even put um, Ricky Puch as a winger, which no, no one really has mentioned lately. But uh, Ricky was playing as a false nine throughout the whole of his time at La, Car- at La Masia, the same way that Ansu was doing. So you've got... Yeah, I'm going to throw... Actually, I'm going to throw in Carlos who also played right wing for Barca B for about a year as well. So he, he he hasn't even seen the field. We haven't even talked about him. But anyway, yes, a lot of wing options. Exactly. So you, you've got a lot of quality that, that could be used. But obviously, for that quality to flourish, you need to nurture it. You need to water the plant before you can you know, see the fruit. So I think that's what um, he was doing with Pedri, what Kuman was doing with Pedri and Ansu. But obviously, there's many more people that, um, that can be action in there. But no, doing the, the substitutions that late in the game doesn't normally create much. I think that the fact that you then put it um, Martin Braithwaite with like five minutes to go. It just stinks a little bit of desperation, to be honest. Um, 
I I haven't been too unhappy with what Kuman has been doing. I think the four-two-three-one is a, a scheme that can potentially make Barca stronger defensively. But as I say, as I said before, we are leaking far too many goals far too easily, and I think that's where the danger is. And obviously, with the four up front. If you keep switching them around when he does all the time, then you end up not knowing how Barca are playing offensively. And to the risk of uh, confusing everyone who is playing, then you're adding three plus one attacker in the last 10 minutes. Um, you're going to a three at the back formation. It just wasn't very good. And to be honest, um, you always want your manager to try and get inventive and win things. But what happened here was just, it, it didn't. It didn't show any continuity. It didn't show much sense. Um, if it had worked for him, though, we would all be saying how great a tactician he is. So I think that we need to take it with a pinch of salt. We need to say that Madrid were actually better as a cohesive unit. Madrid were terrible before before these matches. I mean, they lost the previous two. I think the last one in the Champions League against Shakhtar Donetsk. So, you know, Madrid were at the lowest of the low. Sergio Ramos hadn't really been playing. He comes on. Madrid get transformed, and that's that's why you need a leader in the team. Um, we don't seem to have a leader that can get the others to step up at Barca, and I think he was the difference maker. Of course, um, he could go to the Olympics and you know try some diving gold medals, and he would probably go and win those as well. But at the same time, he, Sergio Ramos is a leader who knows what the club is about. His values align exactly what the values of the club are. The club is led by Florentino again. Not a fan of his at all, but at least you know what you get, and at least, and also you know that he's not going anywhere. So there's a stability in the club, even though the team were losing. You've got a lead, the leader of the team coming back, making a difference, winning the game with them, not being spectacular in any way, shape, or form, but being much more solid than Barca were. And I think that you know we can keep talking about the strikers and the four up front for three more hours. But Barca did not lose the game because of the effectiveness up front. I think it was the leakage of goals that just in important matches has been happening and is quite embarrassing over four years now. Yeah, I mean, I agree with that too. I, I think, you know, this is not a place and a safe place for us to compliment Sergio Ramos, but he did exactly that where he was the leader where they needed. And as far as the, the VAR goes, that happens a lot in the box and it isn't called a lot, but every time it is called it winds up being something that is fairly called just because when you have the shirt grabbed like that and you're the defender, they're going to call that when they choose to. Now, they didn't call it last week against Real Betis, but my, I mean, the, the letter of the law says that it should have been called last week. So Real Betis still have a grievance for what happened to them last week. So that should have been called last week. And then it was, as I said, fairly called this week, but it's one of those that it happens. If you called it every single time, we see hundreds of penalties per match. That's just how it works. So it's unfortunate. Ramos, is, as, as you already mentioned, he just sold it the way he did. That's what a leader does. And it kind of asks you on the other side where we love Messi so much because he doesn't go down. He doesn't fall. But I mean, if he had sold that Casemiro stuff a little bit better and if he had sold some of those, he even went down and they didn't give him the cards at times and they didn't give the decision. So it just it's what happens. But you move on. But I thought Messi was good in this game. And I think we're going to continue to question what's wrong with Messi, what's happening with Messi. But I don't think we even need to kind of talk about him, Francesca, because we know emotionally where he's at. We know what the problems are there. As I've said before, physically, he didn't really go through a real preseason and he's getting used to teammates that he hasn't played with before. So when you're playing with young players, it takes a little bit of time to not only get them up to speed, but he and Luis Suarez for all of that was, and before that it was Xavi Iniesta, David Villa, Samuel Eto'o, Ronaldinho going all the way back to the start. There were players that intrinsically understood 
at least one or two players on the field who intrinsically understood what Messi was about, where Messi was going to be, and all those things. And I would say that with the exception of Alba, there really is no one left that Messi's looking around and saying, I don't have to give him a look. He knows exactly where I'm going to be no matter what. And I think Messi is still getting used to that. So I would say be patient with Messi. Somebody asked me if he only has one goal so far, how are Barcelona possibly going to score enough goals? Well, I still believe that there is 20 or 25 goals in the boots of Lionel Messi this year. It's just going to have to start happening soon, but I expect that to happen. And it could happen as I transition to our final talking point here. It could happen against Juventus. And the question that we wrap up this pod by talking about, Frances, is I guess, I don't know. I'm interested. Usually in the last two seasons or three years that we've been doing this pod, the starting 11 for a team kind of jumps out to us and screams out to us. And you and I wind up agreeing a lot on that. But as far as what Coleman should do against Juventus midweek, now again, they're going to be without Coutinho. So that does uh, make things a little more simple, if you will, or it gets rid of some of the options. And Juventus, meanwhile, could be without Cristiano Ronaldo, who tested positive for COVID back when he came back from international break. But we should know by about Tuesday whether or not he will play in the match on Wednesday, which, I don't know, it should change the game plan a little bit, but defensively at least. But as far as that 4-2-3-1 that we know that Coleman's going to play, Francis, I'm going to let you go first. Who is your 11 you're going to start in that match? Well, I it depends again. If, if you're going to play to win the game, which we're assuming that, that Kuman will want to do, then Neto has to start because he's our only available professional goalkeeper. You want to have an argument yeah. about Neto? Is that what you're setting me up no. for? <laughs> no, no, I mean, no. listen, actually, the point I want to say about Neto real quick is that as good as Neto has been, He's uh, he he was bought for way too much money. Uh, obviously, in that weird swap with Jasper Silson because you know our board and the books and all those things. But for what he was paid for and the wages he makes, it's quite high for a backup goalie. But he was bought because of his shot stopping ability, and so far he's been good with that. Now teams have not really pressed him to have to use his feet too often. And he hasn't really done that. And the idea in Spain so far this year is to really play from your back line out. And almost every team in Spain has done that. So it actually hasn't put Neto in the situation where he's being exposed with the ball at his feet much. However, I think Ter Stegen does everything that Neto does just better. So yes, if it was Ter Stegen or Neto, I'm not starting an argument about Ter Stegen. When he, the minute he's ready to come back, I still take Ter Stegen back. But I think Neto's done a good enough job in that. So there's my Neto point. I don't. I think I haven't made one yet about Neto in months, and I don't think I'll make one for a few more months. But there's my Neto point. Yeah, he's been correcto. He's been all right. He's been doing what he needs to do. So Jordi Alba, if he's fit, it's a big if these days. Uh, he could play the last game, so we're assuming that he's continuing to be healthy-ish. Then he starts. Um, so with Piquet having the red card, then you have to go for Lenglet, uh, even though he had a, a, an actual shocker in a Clásico. And I would say Araujo is the natural choice. Umtiti, I'm not really sure if he's even fit, but even if he was about to be fit, then you don't want to throw them you know, to the Lions in front of the eyes of millions, like I just said before with Pedri. So Lenglet and Araujo in the middle. I think that on the right, given what we saw, Serginho has to continue to play. Serginho Des, that is. With Busquets not really seeing a ball for the whole of the 90 minutes in a Clásico, then he cannot really justify being part of the starting 11. So Pjanic has to get um, has to get the start, especially playing against his previous team. Um, how funny would it be? He was facing, Ar- facing Artur in the middle of the field, but there you go. So Pjanic starts. Frankie has to start. I think that he would be better alongside someone who is more defensively minded and obviously more um, creative and more with it than Busquets was in the previous match. And then up front, I would say Messi 
in the attacking position that would have been for Coutinho, but obviously Coutinho is, is, is injured. So I would have Messi as the attacking midfielder. I would trust Griezmann as the striker. I think that, you know, he needs to, one of these days, he has to start clicking. And this is a great opportunity for him to do that. So I start him as striker. On the left wing, it's Ansu Fati for me. And on the right, you've got different choices. You've got Dembele, you've got Trincao, you've got Pedri. Um, my heart says start Dembele and so be it. But then again, you've got Ansu who's going to zoom past one flank. It depends how, how risky Kuman wants to go. I would personally probably just go with Dembele and, and just, you know, go for it. But um, I think that Kuman may end up actually choosing Trincao for this match. Um, I'm undecided between the two. Let's just say Dembele for me. But I think Trincao would probably be the choice that um, the manager chooses for the game. See, Frances, I was already, I even told the listeners that we were going to disagree. And then I remembered, you're right, I remember the PK red card, and I agreed with you that Pjanic really should start. And they, I know that there are fitness issues about him, but he should be starting at this point. He should be up to speed by this point in training where he can play in this match. And then I agreed. The, the whole thing with Coutinho out as well, he kind of does get rid of those questions where I think the only other option you truly have would be for the 80 minutes that Pedri played against Real Madrid, again, I think that he's been a good enough player that if you start Pedri out on the left wing and you start Messi at the 10 and you start Fati at the striker position, if you think that that's where you have to put Griezmann on the right wing, I'm just saying that's another option that they could go with. But I agree. I think the best option where everyone's playing in their natural positions and starting would be Griezmann up top. And again, it's not natural for him to play at that number nine, but that makes sense there with Messi. Defensively, it works because Griezmann winds up being the player that drops in for Messi. Then Messi winds up defending as a false nine, which he's done really well with. In terms of the advanced metrics so far this year, he's done really well there. And then Fatih on the left. And yeah, I agree with you that Dembele, I think this is the moment. He's still working his way back. And if the doctors give you the thumbs up, I don't want to hear anything about that football IQ stuff that, yes, it exists. His decision-making, we know about that. But in this kind of match, when you're in the group stage of the Champions League, you got to go for it. And Juventus, you know that they're a team that if you want first in the group, you got to win this match. And so you go for it with the Dembele. And you're right. I think Komen Kovago with Trincao. But while I was really uh, receptive and uh, excited about what I saw from Trincao early on, his latest two or three appearances have not really been the best. I think of Pedri and Fati and Dest, he's the kind of one that, even though he is the oldest of the three, he's the one who's not a teenager. He's the one who's kind of coming along the slowest, which again, is completely fine. He's still just 20 years old. So it just means that we have to be patient with one of our very young players. I think that's completely fine. But Trincao, uh, yeah, I think he still has some more to show. And I wouldn't be surprised if he starts this match at all. But it just kind of does tell you that this team is kind of limited. It's, it's interesting to me because of all the options, when we kind of work through it, and I, and the reason we agree is because the minute one of your center backs gets a red card, there's no discussion. There's only one other center back on the roster, and that's Ronald Araujo that you have to throw in there. And then the argument becomes the same thing where we used to say Semedo or Roberto. Now we're arguing Dest versus Roberto, but it seems like Dest is a, a lot more of a natural fit. So I think that argument of Semedo versus Roberto to Dest versus Roberto is a much more complicated and an easier argument to have now because I think that you you don't really get it wrong by going with Dest or in this case, if if they believe Roberto, because if not, you can't really freeze out a fourth captain. A fourth captain in Roberto is going to have to play sometime. So, and Dest is also 19. So he's not going to play every match. There's going to be some kind of rotation. And I think it's completely fine. And that kind of sets you up for the next 10 years by slowly getting a player like Dest who's looked up to it already and you give him some runouts and that's totally fine so again if it's Roberto starting or if it's Pedri starting at left wing I, I wouldn't rue those either but Komen I think all the pressure is on him 
as far as the way this match goes. If they wind up going up in this match, I have a little bit of confidence in his ideas, but he has not done well when Barca is trailing so far, and I think that is where he has to prove it. He has to prove that he has the ideas to outthink and uh, just tactically. I mean, Barca have not had a manager, and that is Valverde, that is that is Setien, and actually going back to Luis Enrique, Barca have not had a manager in four or five years that in the second half of matches, you know that Barca is going to have it in them to come back. And it says a lot about the players, but it also says a lot about the person giving that speech at halftime. Right, Dan, I don't want to sort of repeat what you said. I'm just going to say that just popped into my head. So I'm just going to give you two things. If um, Sergio Roberto is not going to start at right back, then he could be a choice for the double pivot. Because, you know, let's not forget, Sergio Roberto has played in midfield pretty much the whole of his La Masia career. And playing in a double pivot with um, Frankie would actually be a good combination. And the other option you could have in there is Alanya. Alanya is a very valid player. He was playing there in Betis alongside uh, Mar Bartra, both of them doing very, very well. And I think that, you know, if Pjanic is not that well in terms of physicality and Busquets, I don't think he's mentally ready to play another game at this level so quickly after the great fiasco. And, you know, for someone like Busquets, again, he's got so much criticism from all over the place. He's not used to that either. So I think that giving him a breather would be would be a good idea. But Sergi Roberto and Carla Salagna could be very good alternatives. And then I know that, you know, we just lost a Clásico, so it's normal that Kules are going to be unhappy. But let me flip that as well, because if... Say fast forward four years, right? You go in four years' time. You got Serginho, who's 23. You've got Ansu Fati, who's around 22. You've got Frankie at 25, 26. You've got Trincao at however many, 24. So four years on, if these young players continue to play together, continue to get chances at the highest level, Barca are going to go back to what the Barca that we love, the Barca that we we fell in love with, is a Barca that can potentially be dominant because these players know how to play they just haven't done it for long enough together but if we are consistent then all of this hardship all of this transition all of these uh, disappointing defeats that we keep having <laughs> i'm not gonna say time and time again but far too often for our liking then they will be worth it in the end so i don't want us to just be negative about everything what is happening because for you to reap the benefits at the end, you need to plant a seed first. And I think that's what's happening now, even though that women don't like the transition, um, like the, is it the 76ers that have been saying this for years, trust the process? <laughs> process eventually, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, isn't it? Yeah. So eventually we're going to get back there because we've got players with enough quality. So it's just difficult at the moment, but we'll get there. We'll get there. Yeah, I think the one point I would add to that about Juventus is that just like every other big major team, I mean, look at Man United. Well, they've been bad for a few years, but look at Man City, look at Liverpool, look at Juventus, Inter Milan, other than Bayern Munich, who have been continuing to be dominant since the restart. But other than Bayern Munich, basically every major gigantic club in the world, AC Milan has seen a little bit of a resurgence, but they were bad for years, so they don't count. But every major team is not looked okay. They have not looked the same. They're playing too many matches too quickly, coming back, all the travel, COVID, quarantine, all these different things. So there is no major club other than Bayern Munich that is completely unscathed from the coronavirus. I mean, Cristiano Ronaldo might not play in this match because of the international break and COVID. So the one thing I would say too is if this season feels uncomfortable and out of sorts, 
it's not just Barcelona. Because of the Messi and Bartomeu things and all that, yes, Bart, uh, Barcelona is more out of sorts than almost every major club, but every major club has been inconsistent and a little bit messy Other, if, if, unless you're Bayern Munich who seems to have handled everything uh, perfectly. So that's what I would say. Juventus, they are, yeah, they're a great team. They're coming in. They're going to be good. But again, they are not exactly the team that we're used to seeing in Juventus and Inter Milan should be challenging them in Serie A, but they haven't even been as good as they were supposed to be with all their new ownership and their, their fancy shiny players so uh, there are a lot of questions and yeah as you said Frances uh, Barcelona not only are they not dead in the water this season but it certainly is positive things for the future and I say the same thing we didn't talk about Ricky Pooh didn't say his name one time in this podcast and we are 50 plus minutes in and the last point I want to make here is that the reason we're not talking about Pooh again we spoke about on last week that yeah, he could play the double pivot, but he's not going to be starting the double pivot against Juventus. It's just not going to happen. But if he did, I trust him in that situation. I trust him in that position. I think Alenyon, Pooj are better options there than Roberto. I think Roberto still should be in a rotation with Dest at the right back position. But we don't know. And we don't know how Coleman is going to get the best out of some of these players. So I hope Pooj is earning his time in training and he can be integrated and continue to be integrated over the course of the season. Because again, Coutinho and Messi are not going to be around for a long, long time. As far as Messi, certainly not but Coutinho the same way. So Puj, unless Barca wind up bringing in new players that they can't afford to try to fill those spots, Puj is just waiting for his moment. He's waiting for the day. He's waiting for the time. And his time will come. I think he's that talented. But we just have to continue to be patient. And meanwhile, as I said, the, the youngsters that have earned time have earned time and earned their minutes. And they're going to continue to do that against Juventus. So I think that wraps it up, Frances. Anything else? No, just to say that, um, you know, it is natural to feel disappointed after losing a Clásico at home. Um, I'm really, really angry inside. But then again, you know, you need to put things into perspective. And if we're part of a, of a process, if we're part of a regeneration, if we're part of a season that, you know, it is for the youngsters to, to be proven at the highest level or at least to be given a chance at the highest level, then that's, that's what we need to keep thinking when results don't come our way. Yep, I agree with all that. So I think that wraps it up. Thanks for tuning in. You can tap in your app and check out the show notes to subscribe. You can find us on social media too. You know where we're at, the Barcelona Podcast or Hilton D13 for me and on Instagram at the Barcelona Pod. Close Facebook group, that is tvpod.link backslash group. Deeper dives and discussions, a lot more there. Actually thoughtful discussions, not just complaining about the El Clasico result. And you can also help us out on Patreon. I want to thank the new patrons that have shown up this month as well. Thank you. You're the ones who continue to help us make these shows. So a lot of appreciation to our patrons as well. And you know we're on YouTube. You really want a full preview and match review and all those different things those match reviews have been on the youtube channel so check out that it's a little more tactical of a breakdown than our big discussions here as well as i've been doing some match previews and on the fence you might see one by uh, about juventus but maybe not we'll see anyway regardless of what you see there check us out and hit that subscription button so thanks so much for listening to barcelona podcast until next time we'll talk to you soon in forza barca forza For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.